From Acme Broadcast Headquarters in Venice Beach, California. Acme Writing Academy is on the air. This is Rick Crisman along with Mike Magnuson, Jim Frank, Ricardo Marcello Vasquez, and Bob Clark. We're going to begin with a new Acme feature, which is the Acme Word of the Day. So tell us, Mike, what is today's Acme Word of the Day? The Word of the Day is penultimate. Ah, penultimate. That means like even better than ultimate? Right. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I think it depends on how far your hands apart are. <laughs> well, mine are like about six feet apart. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, I, I have a penultimate right here. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah. Let, the, let hey. the listener note he's holding a pen. Is this done with the pen? Yes, it was only a pen. <laughs> the ultimate pen by Acme Products. Yeah, is right. it? So what does the this word? Begins. What does this word mean, Mike? It means <laughs> no. It's, it's it's the thing before the last thing, right? And that's what this show is. This is the penultimate season one Acme Group show. Just so you know, we've decided to give ourselves a little break. We're going to do this. We're going to do another show, and we'll toss you some interviews. And then we're going to take a break, give you a break, and then we'll regroup and we'll be back. Heading to the Riviera, baby. Which I guess that makes makes last week's show the the anti penultimate show, right? <laughs> and the show before that, of course, was the pre anti penultimate <laughs> show. <laughs> and I think if we go all the way back to voice, we get the pro pre anti penultimate show. <laughs> I promise you, I didn't look those up. I use those in daily conversation well, all the time. <laughs> like just, yeah, just while you're making dinner, you know, while making like, dinner. what's the pre-anti-penultimate ingredient in right. when I'm roasting his pork butt? Next week's word is going to be erstwhile, so you can all research that. I've been trying for years to work pithy into a conversation. Just oh, well, you've done a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't get too close to me when you do that. <laughs> Dream's been realized. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get let's get to it. We're going to talk about workshop tonight. We're going to talk about something that might be useful that that everybody has experienced, right? And I have to say, when I first started doing this, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago. I took my first workshop at UCLA Extension, and I thought it was the weirdest thing. I mean, up to then, I thought workshop was something that you took in high school instead of English, right? And so I was just astonished to find that, that you have this thing, workshop, where we're going to, I don't know, we're going to saw, we're going to saw some sentences and plane them off and then stack them up into stories. It's like shop class. In high yeah, school. it's like shop. So, and then it's like, how did this ever happen that, that, writing is taught through this workshop thing. I don't know if it was, well, I guess we'll get into the history at some point, but, um, well, what happened when you walked in there? So like, there's this workshop thing you were expecting, you know, apple bongs, (laughs) (laughs) apple bongs. No, it was, was it it great? Was it a, was it a life changing experience? It must be. What was the weirdest fucking thing? Because here are like, you know, eight or 10 people sitting around a table and, 
you know, the rules are, you know, of course, somebody has submitted a story to everyone, and then we're going to talk about the story, and they're going to sit there quietly and just take right. it for an hour, right? So right. I thought, okay, you know, I... I, I'm always willing to pipe up in any situation where I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So <laughs> this is not so, good. So <laughs> like, why not? you know, chatting around, Oh, yeah, well, here's my opinion on your story and your story and da, 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 da. And we had some kind of interesting conversations and then it got to be my turn to be workshopped. And so I'd sent the story out. And so we're sitting at the table and the teacher is like, okay, so who has something to say about this story? Crickets. Nothing. Oh, Nobody had anything to say. And they're all just kind of looking at each other, and, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did I do? I mean, I've, I kind of felt like I sort of had game. You know, I wasn't a great writer, but I had game, worth, something we're talking about. Right. And finally I realized it. It was because the only reason there was no discussion was because I wasn't allowed to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but I still, I left feeling very uneasy, like, like, you know, it's the one thing they didn't say about your story, that everybody knows about your story, that you don't know, and I'm just feeling like Mr. Dramatic Irony, you know? So anyhow, it was, it was, an, it was an unsettling experience, and I'm sure we all had experiences like that at the beginning, and then you kind of get into what's going on. And um, Yeah, well, why didn't, why didn't you just run away then? Your desire to write just said, well, I'm just going to... I'm just going to respect this crazy institution where when you're somebody's talking about a story, they they put a tennis ball in your mouth and duct tape your head to it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and all they think you're gag. I, I was like, I'm like, well, I guess that's the way that's the way you become a writer. So guess, I'm just going to. And and actually, after after that ended at UCLA, I I invited everybody to come over to my house once a week and continue the workshop. You know, yeah. where I provided the tennis balls. Yeah. <laughs> Wine, cheese, and here's and whose turn with the with the the ball gag this week? Anyhow. I've seen so many crazy things in workshop. Yeah, I always tell this story as if I were there, but one of the stories I heard from I, one of our one of my teachers, one of me and Jim's teachers in Eau Claire, was they had a woman in workshop who turned in this piece, you know, and it was it was shit, and everybody was like, wow, man. Like, there's a comma between every letter. letter. It's just the worst thing you've ever read. <laughs> and, you know, finally, when she got to talk, they were, you know, so like, oh, well, what the fuck? Why is this so bad? And she had apparently channeled it the night before. Like, she got into some kind of state, and she just channeled it directly into her brain <laughs> and turned it into the workshop. Trickle of consciousness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always yeah. use that as I channeled this entire novel. What did you guys say about it? Lobotomy. Oh, it was brutal. You know, it was brutal. You know, like I, I remember in that class and like so many other workshops that I was in or taught, like people just say nasty things about other people's writing hmm. yeah, pretty much all sure. the time. Usually the, the the students are worse than the teachers, you know. Well, Without like, a doubt. Well, you well you you come. I mean, you were doing this. You started doing this when thirty years ago or something. Yeah, pretty much. So it was yeah. it was different. Like, it, I don't know if it was different. It was it was whatever that whatever that happened where you're gagged and bound. Yeah. And somebody discusses yeah. your work. Mm -hmm. You know that was in place. I think it still is. <laughs> Here's here's my problem with with that method, is I mean, let's say you've got a dozen people in the workshop, 
And out of that dozen, maybe you've got two, three people's work that you admire and you respect their opinions. To So to be forced to sit there and have people whose whose opinions you don't you don't have any you can't apply any value to, to me it's just a, a waste of it's a waste of fucking time. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Clark is now running for Mister Congeniality in the American <laughs> Red. Out of the sixteen people in the workshop, there's three. Bob, I think you're being optimistic there. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that was my experience. I, and I, was, I, I was in the workshops at, at uh, Minnesota State with Magnuson. I, w- I would have to say, Bob, you sound like you're someone who could lead a workshop back in the day with a comment like that. Yeah. <laughs> he did. We were in a workshop once. This 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 woman in class, she wrote an entire novel. It was nine pages long. And, and the True. principal action, this girl, the, the main character, a girl of about 16, was coming home to her house because she was so excited that the horse was going to be there. She was going to want to reunite with a horse and give it a carrot or something. And, you know, she turns, she hits the garage door opener and the horse is dong itself. And the horse what? <laughs> hung itself. Hung itself. Oh, and Jesus. The garage. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? Where's Fury? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Did they... Did you say that was a nine-page novel? It was a nine-page yeah. novel. You took in an entire life in nine pages. <laughs> well, I, at least, at least she took von- one. <laughs> at, at least she took Vonnegut's advice to begin your story as close to the end as possible. Oh, there you <laughs> go. And this, this was the old days, you know. Yeah. I, I hope it's better now, but it was. It was me, you know. Clark used to always have like a, a bag of Red Hot, some candy. He atomic would, fireballs. Atomic <laughs> fireballs. He'd eat them in the workshop. Bottom bite of gross. And he'd have them like shitting on the side of his mouth, you know. And he kind of sat there and he'd, he'd, he'd kind of hustle his balls. And he said to this person, like, you know, sometimes you just gotta, you know, some people just can't write. <laughs> He's like, if you're five foot two and can't hit free throw, you're not going to play in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh. There goes. Uh, he, he was right, carry. you know? Yeah. You, you can't make a free throw. <laughs> but you, I, that, that, uh, beating, that beating message, does it, does it work? I think it works a little bit. You know, I, I think there's some value in it, especially at a public school, because it prepares you to be scrutinized. And I was in a translation workshop, and that works just a little bit different. Uh, you know, probably five or six times over the semester, you prepare a passage that you're translating, and uh, you display it in the workshop, and everybody goes through it and evaluates, you know, not just whether it's accurate, but, you know, whether it's written well in English. And... The first time I was up for workshop, I prepared uh, the opening passage from uh, the Songs of Maldor by Lautréamont. Can you just say that whole thing one more time? This is the Songs of Maldor. Maldor. Yeah, exactly. That's what got me into trouble, dude. 
because <laughs> I'm just saying, like, wow, I love French. I love. Well, I mean, he wrote in the 1860s, and he was one of these guys who liked to write about the the underworld and you know the Bohemian life in Paris. It was gothic and they're sort of like vampire-like uh, people, and and you know when you translate. You're not just translating word for word, but you're trying to capture metaphors and all that kind of stuff. And one of the important words in that opening section, and I looked at the first meeting, and I said, nah, it can't be that. It must be prostitute. Because, you know, those were, that was the milieu he was writing about. And, uh, you know, I show up to workshop, and, you know, when mine comes up, it's curiously quiet. And... Uh, the workshop leader started asking me about this word that I translated as prostitute. And he said, did you have a look at that in the dictionary? And I said, oh, yeah. He said, how do you feel about that? And I said, I feel pretty good about that. And everybody's looking at John. And John starts laughing. And he says, you know, uh, that word's a special kind of bird. And I said, well, you know, they use slang words like bird for women all the time and prostitutes. And he said, yeah, but you, you missed it. This is actually the word for crane, which is a long-legged bird that flies in the sky, not a prostitute. And so it's the same word, right? Wait, wait, wait. I thought, funny was, I thought uh, a crane was a huge metal thing that lifted girders up to the top of skyscrapers. No, that's a guy named Derek. <laughs> that's right. That's that guy too, right? <laughs> so you can see the confusion. But I mean, the, the thing is, Ian Morris, who was an editor at Triquarterly. Wait a minute. Are we getting sponsorship? Are we getting uh, product placement fees well, from these guys? The next five minutes is sponsored by Triquarterly, which okay. is... A I think, you know, everybody, of course, laughed, and I was kind of pissed at him. But I think, you know, in a competitive workshop like that, I learned one valuable lesson, and that's that you make sure that you're absolutely ready every single time you sit down at the table. There are weaknesses, but I think that's a helpful thing. But, you know, sometimes it is the second meaning that they're going for. Oh, I know it is. So you've got to evaluate that in context, I guess, right? Right, and I was wrong. I'll tell you, I can imagine what, going through and translating a work and specifically using the second meaning of every word. What would you get? You second <laughs> Use the second meaning of every word instead of the first. Second, second circle of Dante's is hell. <laughs> I, I guess that brings us back to penultimate. What's the second meaning of that? Right. The penultimate <laughs> meaning of the word. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to the erstwhile no. meaning. <laughs> but I, you know, I no, you're that, right. I, I, you know, I take your point. You know, you get in there and it's like you just got egg on your face, man, because you, because uh, you, some some guy is like staring at a beautiful bird through his binoculars, and you think he's letching after some whore. Right. <laughs> I, I like mean, your you know, version better, to be completely honest. But I don't know. Isn't no, that what bird watching is all about? Yep. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Warblers of this world. We've all taken beating in a in a workshop. I guess that's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? Oh yeah. That, I think the so. important thing is is some of us learned from it, you know, right? And, and, and took the beating like like and, you know, and then go back and look at it and again and say, man, this fucker is right. Yep. This does need work. Yep. And learn from it rather than get uh, huffy about it, you know. And some people just can't take the criticism. And some people even, learn even to like the, the criticism beating. is right, and it, it's it's fucking harsh. They're not, they're not used to getting harsh criticism. And if you're going to 
try and write for publication, you better get used to criticism because yep. <laughs> just the fact that nobody wants to book in here from you is That's criticism right. <laughs> You got to you got to see your workshop buddies as your penalty penultimate editors yeah right well being in workshop made me a better writer i know that i needed it and i had a me too when when all was said and done i i i I put a high value on the the times i i was in workshop something good always came out of it i think i saw some toxic things happen in workshop though in Uh, the big ones yeah i committed i committed sins yeah, I, did well, I, I, I have committed sins. I remember when I, when I took my first big-time workshop at Ohio State University. Lee K. Abbott was the teacher, you know? Yeah. And I was, like, working for a uh, – I was repossessing furniture at the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I was going in there, and I was going to be the greatest writer ever. <laughs> and you had to write these one-page notes <laughs> to other people in the class, and they were all, like, PhD students on fellowship and I was working 60 hours a week and I'd go like man this story moves along like a corpse dragging under a bus (laughs) 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 Lee loved it he's like yeah this this guy's off speaking speaking of those notes that was the best part of workshop was the writing the notes you know the little essay you would write Yep. Mm -hmm. some people don't say shit in a workshop and the best ones, like I remember, I wrote one critique once. I hadn't, I hadn't even read the story. I just made up. So, <laughs> so, so, so I, I took the first sentence. I ran. No, I took the first sentence of the story, and I started from there, and I started writing something else, and I, I turned that in. <laughs> they were like, "You fucking asshole." Right. That was one of the classic methods. So, like the everybody in workshop had to turn in two copies of a critique. You know, like it was right. a one-page single-space thing. One went to the professor, and one went to the person who wrote the story. They had to go to the professor because he could check you off that you did your homework. Oh, that right. never happened to me in workshop. Oh, oh that's, that's oh, no, that's no never. It never went to the professor, and I, that always bothered me. It's like, wait a minute, shouldn't this be sort of vetted? <laughs> His yeah. comments in some way. Yeah. Not um, to mention people, but I know people in this in this chat room or in this on this podcast <clears> that would read <throat> would read excerpts from these essays <laughs> during the next workshop. <laughs> <laughs> I never did that. Honest yeah. to God, that this is one of these legends that has passed on that I didn't commit. I committed a lot of crimes, but not that one. Oh man! Oh, man. Yeah, there are times I've got regrets about some of the times I opened my big yap when I was in workshop. I was I was unkind to a number of people. No, I know, man. And you know, like you think of the just the environment. I think it was more like it was like athletics or something. Like you're going to be the strongest yeah. person. Mm-hmm. in the room and people who aren't like yeah fuck them you know they're not gonna make the team right, right. i know and then he exactly. just said these brutal things you know I, I remember before a workshop at mankato we would call each other on the phone jesus even the professor of the class terry davis sometimes would call you up and say like yeah. yep he's like mike you can't <laughs> say anything in this class and I'm like, oh, I know. You know, and I, I was like in my little apartment, you know, like, you know biting down on a pillow or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it, it, was, it was a horrible thing. 
you know, and I'm sure like whatever we're talking about, I'm sure people who are, are, are listening to this have been through something like that or something embarrassing happened in a class. And it, sometimes the embarrassment is that the piece of work up for discussion is bad. Right. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Nobody make a mistake. Can find a way to say, Jesus, you know, like, man, you, you know, go to the temp service and do something else. You know, like you're a beautiful person. We like you, but you can't write. But you can't yeah. say that, you know. Or the converse of it is the kind of thing that, you know, I remember from workshops, even in Florida, where it was, you know, it was 40 dogs, you know, descending on a pork chop. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that was bad, you know. Oh, God. You know, I don't think I, it, I don't think people learn. So, like, do you learn by just, yeah, I'm stronger than everybody else in this room? I mean, is that art and literature? Is that how it should be? The threat of putting up a piece and just having it turn out to be a turd forces you to become a, I mean, you just have to be on your game. You've got to keep getting better as yep. the workshop goes on in order to justify even sitting in there and, and being willing to hand, hand stuff in. Yeah, It's tough, you know, you, you've got to harden yourself and you got to get ready for hard comments and some hard thoughts. But on the other side, you get a lot of positive reviews. If you're, you know, if you're making muster, you're getting positive feedback. People, if if nothing else, people are reading you. You know. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I do miss that. There's a lot. Yeah, I do miss people reading my stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe I should start a new workshop. <laughs> You've got that captive audience. Yeah. Where'd this model come from? It was so new to me when I fucking first walked in. To a workshop, yeah. class. I was a classic undergrad kid, and I was working at a local bar in Boca, a P Pittsburgh Steelers bar. And and during and during the day, I go to class, and then you know, four or five o'clock in the morning after work, I start writing or whatever. And I was an English major, and then I heard about this creative writing class. So it's like, you know, it's a lot of girls in there, hot chicks and stuff. I go, all right, <laughs> <I just laughs> take it as an undergrad, <sighs> and I get, and man, I was like, what the fuck is this? We're reading each other's work and everyone's critiquing and, you know, and, then the, and there's the person who talks about the comma that wasn't here and that should have been there. That was me. And, and, and then I had the other one tell me, and the other one, it was like these archetypes, you know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, it's like Jane Eyre on acid. <laughs> At that moment, I was inspired to be an English major. Oh. <laughs> and then, then, then the guy, you know, after three or four workshops, you know, I started, I started turning in shit about, I don't know, guidos and chefs and all that insane sushi chefs. And the guy goes to me, you know, there's a thing called MFA. What the fuck is that? He's like, well, you get a master's and doing what? Writing creatively. You gotta be shit me. Cause yeah. And I go, well, how much does it cost? No, you, you apply. And he told me the whole bullshit, you know, and so many students <laughs> apply, so many students apply, and, you know, out of, you know, out of 300, you know, the top notch, Top Guns get selected to go to that program. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. But do they, they pay you? Yeah, some places stipend. I'm like, I'm on it. Yeah. Of, I was so out of that fucking bullshit Pittsburgh Steelers bar. And then I started going to all the local workshops, like in Hollywood and Plantation was there, wherever I could find a workshop because the best part about the critiques, they would fix my horrible punctuation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just, so I, I get I get the stuff back and go, oh man. So I have to, you know, fix it all up, apply. And then, you know, got into the MFA program. It's so when I get there, I'm like, where is this? Wow, this is like, this is heaven. This is cool. Everybody's sitting around like smart people. 
Right. Yeah. Critiquing. <laughs> so you did. You were so happy to be there that that you didn't care that they were just shitting all over your pages. Oh, I didn't care. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't care. And after after the month, I figured I could do the same. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. right? And, I, and, I, and that's actually when I I think that's when I first started really writing. Good. You see, you see it, and you say, "Hey, I can do that." Right. Yeah, but it was it was this whole though. You know, I I went there because I'm. It was the grad. It was the debate grad student, mm-hmm. and to, and to me it was a machine. To me it was a it was a workforce of cheap labor. Right. Pay, pay your fees. Get your you know fifteen hundred dollars stipend. I mean, there were times when my MFA program it was a good thing that I had a, a title for my van, my truck, because I was fucking going. I was you know putting the title up all the time, getting money from a local you know loan place. You know what I mean? Twenty percent interest if you miss the first month. I hadn't had, had no, 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 no one sending me money. So yeah, that turned in, turned into a uh, Dickens novel, The Factory it became The Factory. I like I like how you say it's cheap labor. You basically you're doing a workshop and it's like, hey, I, I just you know paid no money to hire ten people to fix my story. Well, that's not that's to not solve. what it is. So what he's no. talking labor is no. No, that's not the, what you mean. The way that no. the traditional model worked in a, in a you know the old school MFAs is you'd be accepted into the program and giving a given a teaching assistantship and you teach you know okay. English composition, right? So they could hire you at fifteen hundred dollars a month or less than that. I think it was like six hundred when I was at Mankato. It was like no, it was for two classes. It was you two know, classes. Yeah, Jesus Christ! I, I worked on the weekends at a, at a nursing home because I just didn't have enough money. You know. Mm-hmm. They could pay the grad students to teach those lower level classes, and then they don't have to, you know, hire faculty. And oh, you're the cheap labor, right? Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. you're the cheap we're labor. The cheap, we, yeah, I ended up, yeah, you ended up becoming the cheap labor. No, the miracle yeah, I mean, system that they never mention is is where you really learn how to write is when you're teaching that English comp class. It doesn't have shit to do with the workshop. That's right. Because you're in there explaining, you know, how to spell, right, to a group of people oh. who can't. How to write a periodic sentence. Yeah, or anything. Jeez. How do you write a periodic sentence? Spell her goddamn sentence. name, you know? Is a periodic sentence a sentence with a period at the end? Uh, <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> I was or a philosophy colon. major, you know? <laughs> Let's put semicolons after them. Yeah. Let's string a whole bunch of those babies together. Mm-hmm. Bob. Yes? Who liked to, Bob, who liked, to, who's like, who liked to speak English on his free time. Comma, <laughs> who desired to become a great war war writer one day. Comma, walked across the room. Semicolon. <laughs> right. I, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna give us about fifteen, twenty more clauses. See, when you, no, I, when I you separate the subject from the predicate, as Marcello was yeah. doing, that's when you got you some periodic sentence. Somebody told me in, in MFA that meaning. that you can't you you can't se- separate your subject from your verb by more than twenty seven words. I think there kind of is, you know. You Got to write. Tell it to Nabokov, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that kind of precision with a number like twenty-seven. You know. Well, we're going like to talk about that next. M dash. We're going to talk about that next show. We're our our last show. Dare I say the ultimate show? Don't give it away. <laughs> the ultimate show, baby. <laughs> Will be advice to writers.
This is going to feature Bob Clark. The first thing. <laughs> you said the bitch is going to work. I'm going to get my moleskin out so I can you know, keep some notes in it. Don't bring cupcakes to the workshop. Uh, I got a question for the room. You guys want to take, it's about break time. You want to take a break now or should we just keep going? Let's take a break. Okay. Take, take a break. break. All right. We're going to, we're going to uh, take a break to improve our attitudes. And, uh, you're listening to the Acme Writing Academy, of course, and we'll be back after this brief message. Just a reminder to you, the listener, that you are invited to send your comments, criticisms, and questions to the Acme Mailbag at this easy-to-remember address, acmewritingacademy at gmail.com. When Acme resumes next season, we'll be reaching into the mailbag to possibly give you the chance to pose your question on the air to the members of the Academy. So give us a shout, acmewritingacademy at gmail.com. Okay, but in all seriousness, you hear all these horror stories about the old days in workshop, and you know, it's, I know you guys have told me that it was super, super competitive. That that oh, there was, wow. it wasn't like a communal thing. It was like, you know, screw your buddy, right? Because well, it, it was communal. It, it was. was communal, but at the same time, it was you know very competitive. Like we're all friends, except for like once in a while, we just totally beat the crap out of one of us. You know, things. So you yeah. weren't actually as much of an asshole as you've said that you were. Oh no, definitely were. Oh, you know, that, that was the thing. You know how they roll. So has it changed? Have things loosened up since then? You know, <laughs> I think that I, but I'll tell you like, one thing right now. Well, that 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 I think anybody who went through the the workshop experience of of that era, the, you know, seventies and eighties in particular, and the nineties, you know, they they know that there's got to be another way. Mm-hmm. there's some looking back on it but you know like clark was saying before there's guilt and stuff like this was this was an environment that created hostility this is an environment that had people in class who wanted to write and you know they were shunned and kicked out and they're not writing ever again you know i don't care what flannery yeah. o'connor said about you know like well we didn't discourage enough writers mm-hmm. you know we can't afford that anymore I mean, that's, that's not even a that's not even a reasonable proposition, really. In our society, we should have great readers, and great readers in turn should be great writers, right? You know, and we can't have a thing that's, you know, we want it, everybody to write better, but you don't want to kick people off the back end. This, this writing is not sports; it's a reflection of our society. I hate of our literate that. society. We want a literate, literate society. society. It's that bullshit. It's that it's, it's that bullshit. Capitalist crisis chaos. See what happens, and then mm-hmm. factions divide, and then people get their own little. It, I think factions, like it's not even political. The factions. It's because you know one group. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're Brewers fans. 
the other ones were from St. Louis and they got along with the people from Chicago. Right. You know, you know, it's from the Dominican. Well, I'm close enough. I'm from Belize. You know what I mean? We hang up. It's been ridiculous. Right. And it was this it was this competition that in the end did not breed or bring make you a good writer. You came in a good writer and you, you left a good writer. It was it was already right. set up that way. Right. right. Yeah. The structure was to create a crisis. To create a moment where the you know, th- throw much shit you can hit, you can throw against the fan and see what happens. With, with heavy collateral damage. Heavy collateral damage. That's the deal, right? And mm-hmm. if you're lucky, you, you if you're lucky, you get an assistantship, you teach eleven oh one, then you end up learning, you know, the, the composition because you're teaching it, right. right? But then you know, like like where I was, I was teaching kids from you know from from Chicago and stuff like that. I mean, you know, kids from the the poor areas of Chicago and all that sure. stuff, or kids from the Midwest. Yeah. They were alien to me. I'm from, I'm from South Florida. You know, and I was like, what the, f-? you know, it's like a completely alien world. But I don't know. That's what I think about it. I think it's a bunch of capitalist bullshit. Well, I think the competition is uh, what fits in with that. It's the idea that with that sort of competition, the cream will rise to the top. And, right. you know, you'll be able to withstand, you know, rejection after rejection after rejection right. and you'll persevere and you'll fight your way to the top and it's that that free market idea that uh sort of got you know stuck in a workshop and i don't really think it was the right place for it you know i think it's really changed i mean i haven't had those experiences like you guys have but you know like when i went to pacific which is a low res model i mean that's a whole other kind of thing uh, you know, I remember my first workshop, and and uh, I was up, and uh, Claire Davis, who's the workshop leader, at one point, they're talking about my manuscript, and she rips the first page off of it and tosses it over her shoulder and says, "Well, I guess we don't need that anymore." Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But That's honest, a- but honestly, the vibe of the room was that I didn't mind that. She was absolutely right, and it was a joke. And uh, it was a like, joke. That's the important thing. Yeah, it was a joke. Yeah. He was horsing yeah. around. With yeah, you. she was horsing around with me. It's like loosening me up. Like, don't take yourself so seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, my my low res workshops were the first two were pretty, uh, you know, intellectual, and I didn't feel totally comfortable ne- necessarily. And and my last two, it, the workshop would just evolve into kind of a free-floating discussion about writing hinging on whatever particular piece we were talking about. In other words, the, the professors were using, it wasn't about fixing the story or even so much critiquing the story as it was using the story as a teaching platform. You know, what can we learn from this? Listen, like, look, right. at, how, look at how much abstraction is in this story and how little scene yeah. there is. Now, if we took this rumination and we made it seen then we'd have you know more action etc uh so i guess i don't know is that just the low res thing is a more kinder gentler workshop where more laid every, back more laid back and everybody's ideas get supported and and uh we're all just kind of a community of writers reading each other's stuff and and uh not trying to kill each other mm. On the other hand, I've heard stories at Pacific of, of Mike Magnuson making people cry. So mm. That's not true. Oh, it's not? It. Okay. It is. <laughs> Couldn't have cried, uh, though. I what? just want to point that out. They cried, but without you causing it. 
<laughs> like if it's sometimes if somebody mm-hmm. gets a tough critique, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and and gets upset about it, you know, you can get a tough critique in a nice way and still be hurt. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know? And yeah. that's a problem. Like you bring ego in, you think your your shit don't stink. You know, that's bad. You know, that'll always make you cry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Once you realize I, that you're just like anybody else. I learned early on you got to leave your ego out of it. It's oh, just gonna, man. You know, you just got to let it go. Mm-hmm. I, I will say back in the day, Rick, that the best workshop leaders did much of what you were saying. The trouble was that uh, trying to use a story or a poem or whatever it was that was up for workshop as, a, as an item for teaching about, say, setting or dialogue or something like that, sometimes that got caught up with the sort of factions and, you know, the sort of tensions that were going on in the room and the competitiveness that they may have muted that kind of focus. But I would say that the best workshop teachers that I had when I was at Arkansas uh, always tried to get to the point that you were just talking about using the piece that was up for discussion as a opportunity to teach about some important structure skill that you need in order to execute a good story or a good poem well i don't i don't see where the competition comes from because what's the prize yes and that's that's what i'm pointing out yeah it's all ego i mean back in the you know, back in the day he's trained like a son of a bitch you know and playing soccer in argentina as a kid and you know you were competing with each other you know the players but there was a first team second team and a third team and you know what you were competing for and you know what you were training for? First team. First team. Right. It was a it was a clear cut structure. You went in, you know, you, you did this when you trained, stretched, blah, blah, boom. You know, you went, you ran your, your three and a half, four miles trot, you know, your jog. You come back, you start, you know, playing. You start with a little practice, this and that, you know, volleyball, soccer. But it's just uh yeah, what are you competing for in these workshops? You know this. This is. I'm thinking of something interesting with sports when you talk about it that way. The, the you know the the A team, the B team, and the C team. I, I raced uh, cyclocross for a long time. Uh, it was kind of bike racing, and there was the A race and the B race and the C race. And I, I always raced the B race in St. Louis when I used to race there. And <clears throat> you know I'd get close to the top once in a while, but mostly not. And every week. In, in the field of 25 or whatever it was that I was racing with, uh, you know, I'd be like, you know, eighth or something like that. And then like one week, the guy who was seventh would be ahead of me <laughs> and the next week I'd beat him. And it was like, that's where we belong. And it was great. And then we, then we'd get across the finish line and it was like, Oh man, you know, I thought I had you, and, you know, whatever. It was like this. Right. This Interesting. That's, that's that where your arena was. Where, well, yeah. it was re- it was realistic. Yeah. Like, okay, I- I'm happy. I'm doing this. I'm trying as hard as I can. And you know, there's there's right. somebody way ahead of us, but it's just right around us. It's like this beautiful, like okay, <laughs> and we were friends. Right. We were happy to see each other each week. Catch up. How's your family? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the A, B, and the C. One of the uh, uh, Pacific alums came back for a group discussion about. Well, what have you done? How have you gotten your stuff published since graduating? You know, what are you doing? What's your methodology? And he said, well, you know, he, he talked about a lot of stuff like paying $15,000 for a publicist, which I thought was pretty silly because 
<laughs> that's a lot to pay for uh, contributors' copies. <laughs> So, right. So, but he said, he said, I hey, would yeah. totally spend he says, grand I go through, I go through do a, I use do a trope and I, and, and analyze all the journals. And he says, I send my A stories to the A journals and my B stories to the B journals and my C stories to the C, C journals. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, why the fuck aren't all your stories A stories? Why are you sending C stories to anybody? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe that's a, a beside the point thing. But I, I think that what if there's competition for me, if there's competition, it's with myself. And I know that sounds like a, a cliche, but you know, no, it's true. I, I want to excel. I want to. I want to fix my prose. I want to reach that moment in my story that gives you the shivers and stuff. And I don't really give a shit who else is doing it. You know, if if mm -hmm. Bob Clark's writing a hell of a great short story over there, I'm all for that too. You know, right? Right. There's so many places you can get something published. Whereas 30 years ago, the number of places you could get stories published was a lot more limited. And well, here's the yeah, thing, right. though. The more right. meaningful, too, no, probably. No, I think, I think, I think, you know, yeah, that makes sense. But mm -hmm. the difference is, is uh, <clears throat> these days, you know, the the proliferation of the MFA and all that kind of stuff. Right. Is, that there's 17,000 people trying to get shit in there. Whereas back in the right. day, there may have been 500 who were had reasonable chances, you know, go to a, go to an AWP conference. You'd be, you'd be shocked, yeah. you know, in a good way. But, like, man, there's like all these sure. journals and everybody's like trying to, you know, stumble over each other to be the one to light the boss's cigarette at each one, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, in a way it's, it's diluting it's sort of, the quality of the writing. Well, I think that may be true too. You say or, it dilutes. But I think it dilutes you know, the, it. It's diluting the quality of the writing. You're writing. No, you're writing to the least common denominator because right. you to find a way to get accepted. Because it's about building a portfolio. To but I mean, accomplish and that. I, and, and I ask you guys this because I don't know. But uh, when I was in the workshop, Are you the the other thing that you competed for where there were fellowships and awards that you could get every year within the workshop. And the fellowships were, you know, pretty substantial. So there was quite a bit of elbowing going on to try and get your story or your poem seen in a particular way by everyone in the workshop and the teachers in particular, so that perhaps you would win one of those fellowships. They had a writing, they had a writing scholarship at Minnesota State too. And, yep, the uh, Robert C. Wright Award, Clark was yeah. Everybody, everybody in the writing programs, we everybody wanted to get a shot at that one. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. that was, that was like, funny enough. Local, you and me, way. Clark, we wanted in successive years, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. One right after the yeah, other. Yeah. We walked around. We we show everybody there. We took a tour out of town and like put our asses outside the taxi window. <laughs> hey, Robert Wright Award winner. <laughs> Give that guy the Nobel Prize of Literature. <laughs> you know, is 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 some of the the change due to the the fact that we have this uh, low res model of education now? That's I think it's just getting more and more right. L these low res programs, as opposed to the the full residency. Part of it is humanity. Like you just can't treat people like shit the way the old workshops did. The other thing is, is right. the the notion of education has shifted more to a a client student centered yeah no 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 a lot of teachers bitch about that like their whole 
they're 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 assessed by their uh, what what the students say about them. So like I I'm a great teacher, but so what if one of my students bitches about me giving them an F? You know, when universities first started way way back, the idea was is the the students stayed the same, and when they retired to listen to the professor, they they just got another one. Yeah, you know, so like that that so like they the the, the power is back in the hands of the students and in a way that's the way it should be like if you're going to learn you shouldn't be there to go to be to work under somebody you should be work there to flourish with somebody i agree with a lot of people ideally well yeah with a community right a community you know going to pacific for instance i don't i don't want to sound like i'm hawking pacific but I, i mean i was accepted at vcfa and some other places and if i lived on the east coast i probably would have gone to vermont you know, but all these low res things. I mean, you've got you go there, you start your your thing with a ten day residency, and you hear twenty five different writers giving their their talks. Right. Right. And when you're in your workshop, you might have three different professors rotating through, and then when you do your independent study, you have a different professor each of your four semesters that you're relating to on the page back and forth writing letters and and them critiquing your stuff. So you've got this big smorgasbord of stuff. So on the one hand, you're not being pushed through a particular thing. And of course, you can fall off the wagon. You can probably just, you know, ease your way through the program. But if you're somebody who wants to be a writer, you've got this resource available to you. I mean, I, I think of a friend of mine who I used to workshop with, and he was so inspired to get a to get an MFA, so he went to Purdue, where he's you know there's two professors there, I guess, and one of them is Roxanne Gay, so he's going to be working with Roxanne Gay for three years, and nothing against Roxanne Gay, but she's a, definitely a narrow caster, you know. You're not going to get you're you're certainly going to want to get a bigger, wider perspective on your writing than that. And I don't know, you know, you work with Lee K. Abbott. I mean, he's just one guy. I guess I'm just of the, you know, if you're going to be a writer, okay, you got to get past, I mean, I think 95% of everything is shit in the arts, in music, in writing, in painting, or whatever. Everybody's out there doing it. Mm-hmm. And I might even be generous in saying that it's just 5% that are any good. Right. So if you want to be part of that 5%, you have to do it yourself. There's not going to be some program that, you know, like the old school program that's going to beat on you and mold you into a writer. That's just not going to happen. In that situation, if you're going to be a writer, you're going to embrace it and you're going to be part of the 5%. I think in the low res model, you have a greater chance of doing that if you're a self-motivated person because you're going to be getting way more input, a way broader input than you would in a more restrictive environment. Anyhow, that was my experience. And I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm at 60% now. <laughs> I don't know. But, but, but I know where it is, and I've, I've had enough input to, to where I think I know how to get there if I work hard enough, right? So I'm not, I'm not sure, worried man. about competing you know, think, with anybody. The, what, what comes out of these things for that model that you came through, for the, the model that, you know, the rest of us came through, which was a, a lot more, a lot less friendly, maybe, you know, 
there were friendly moments anyways. So Rick, I know that now that you're done with your degree, you still workshop with people from that you met in school. Yeah. Uh, and obviously like every one of you guys here that I'm talking to, I met in school one way or another. Right. You know, and, and like, like there's a level of trust that comes with that. And right. there's a level of respect and there's a level of wanting everybody to succeed with their writing. Like, man, I will do anything to help, you know, like, and, and I, it's not a competition. I just like you and I like your work and I like the way you see the world and let's make it happen. If I, if I can be there for you, you know, that's exactly so, so that's maybe what workshops really all about is, you know, you find people who think like, you do you know this doesn't mean a narrow thing but somebody you can communicate with right and you can show writing to and you can work kind of together because you can't uh, we all say that writing is done alone but it's not no you can't really lock yourself out in the middle of the woods and write no you can't you got to work with other you got to show people what you're doing yeah we 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 can't do it alone. That's for sure. Yeah. But the, you know, there comes there comes that cruel time when you when you know that you you have to do it alone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. right. It, it comes a time when you you can't have the. What do you think of this? What do I think of that? You know. You're right. Give me some feedback. It comes a time when you just got to sit down and it's just you and that fucking keyboard. <laughs> Right. And you but, know you got to do it alone. But what you do at that moment is going to be informed by your past experience. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna hear you're gonna feel the some wind in your sails from from people you've worked with over the years. Yeah, I think I think so. I'm I having mean, a Star Wars picture with Yoda coming up, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> I have Carl. Karl Marx with a peace sign. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys say Timothy O'Leary was here earlier? No, or, or no, Timothy Leary. No, Timothy Leary's dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, 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 he's, he's outside. I would say that as competitive as it was at Arkansas, that I, I'm still really good friends with many of the people I was in workshop with. Yeah. And, uh, ah, fuck them. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, you know. I've only got a couple, couple guys. If you knew that, that much, fuck I, I got a couple of time phrases for them. Buff fun Google. As <laughs> 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 my, yeah, my Napolitan grandmother used to say, a fist a mama. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know about that. Something, something. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I know the origin of that word. <laughs> I think some of the things some of you guys are saying about having a at least you have an audience, at least you do find some people whose judgment you can trust, and uh, I still trust mm-hmm. a lot of those people's judgment even today. Mm-hmm. You know, look at let's look at the world in general and all the people you you know at the 7-Eleven and the Safeway and the people, sure. the parents at school. And, you know, so few of them are hip to this kind of way of thinking that we're into, this whole business of writing and how important it is to craft a good sentence and to tell a story. And it's, it's you know, in the vast scheme of things, it's, it's an extremely esoteric thing. 
And Certainly. I, I'm always, I've come to a point where I'm, I'm grateful for anything that, that, that I can connect to in this. Like, like I was telling Mike, you know, when it comes to workshop and input and stuff, who was, who was, uh, Marcello, you were saying you really enjoyed uh, Brian Eno and David yeah. Byrne, that uh, yeah, Life in yeah. the Bush of Bush of Ghosts, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. The one, so, the one with the exorcism. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've heard Brian Eno speak and whatnot, and, and he says that when he and David Byrne are producing a record, no idea is ever questioned. Any, di- any idea that comes up, they try it, right? And it's just so great because it's so much better. You spend twice as much time evaluating the idea when you just try it and then, and then you know, like right. like Dun Xiaoping says, practice tests all theory. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I mean, I feel the same thing about, I've always felt the same thing about input for workshop. Whatever anybody, whenever I am fortunate enough to have somebody read my stuff and vent an opinion, I'm going to respect that. And take advantage of it. I'm going to try the edit. I try every edit, right? I may throw it away. I may not. But I don't sit there and think, well, this person is right or wrong about my story. It's no. You say the sentence should should lose its adverbs. Okay, I'm going to try and rewrite it. Hmm. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. That's my feeling. It's it's just it's just you're working on your skills. You're getting exercise. You're learning the the fungibility of language. There is there is also a, a, a subtext community that happens in a workshop when I guess I don't, I don't want to say when you're in a right workshop, but when you're in a kind of a graduate workshop that you've been there for three years, four years, that you start remembering each other's story. Yeah, you do, don't you? Mm-hmm. And 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 it and it becomes like a motive because you remember you remember that was memorable. Like you know, forget yeah. the critique. Uh-huh. You remember what they're saying at the bar. Yep. You know, oh, dude, that was you. I know it was you. No, it wasn't, man. It was. It's, it's fiction. It's bullshit. You know, I yeah. didn't do that. You know, I mean, I didn't. I didn't. You know, swim across the intercoastal on acid. You know, yeah. <laughs> Rip off the neighbor's, you know, surfboard and a samurai sword. Um, going on a rampage and attacking loggerhead sea turtles. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. That's the. That's the pre. That's the pre erstwhile. No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> we're. <laughs> Turtle season. <laughs> it makes me so insecure. Turtle season. Coming, I think you're being autobiographical right now, Marcello. <laughs> no, but um, there's this subtext that, that I think it is something we can learn from, From I guess, from thinking about this, right? Reflecting. What are the experiences? I mean, we have, we have a lot of people coming out of these workshops now. I hope they're listening to this program, right? And the best thing is to, like, I don't want to say the word move forward, but we can get better by having these conversations. Yep. And I, don't, and I don't want to get into the community college bullshit. I always got to hear best practices. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Best practices is telling you to shut up. Continuously. What's, what's, right. it's, it's another form of pacification. Everybody gets along. You know, kumbaya bullshit. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. when shit hits the fan, nobody knows how to react. Right? Like, you know, no, revo- no true revolutionaries are going to be coming out of this fucking group. Yeah. Right. So wow. having these conversations, I think, to me, are important, but taking them somewhere is even more important. I'll tell you, may, maybe I'll get a little sen- sentimental here, but I've, I feel like Acme Writing Academy is almost the next step of workshop. I mean, this is this is us enjoying With, each other's thoughts, yes. right? We I, now okay. we haven't we haven't shared a whole lot of each other's writing, but I think in season two maybe we should. 
I think so too. You know, yeah. I think because I think, we enjoy each we're... other's company, we respect each other's thoughts, and we yeah. have we're willing to let it spin out to where it spins out. And I think this space is necessary. Beginning to it's beginning to open up for this. Yeah, it is. And it, all right, you know, I think we've come to the yeah. end. I think Excellent. So too. What a happy ending that is. That's a happy, happy ending, ending, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, this time tomorrow night, I'll be sitting in Argentina enjoying, enjoying Fernet. Oh, you you dog. Nice. Is it so, spring break? Yeah. So the next oh. week, um, I'm going to be coming in from Argentina to the podcast. Very cool. Cool. All and right. A new house. New place. So that's, that's what I'm trying to work that into our new introduction from, from, uh, uh, from across the Americas, if you hold the map sideways. <laughs> <laughs> there is a there's a map that I had that um, a colleague made a copy for me. When I said I saw it, I needed it. I, I wanted it. When I t- when I taught the uh, U.S. Latino Lit course, there's a map where the the, the Latin America is upside down. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so South America is on top and North America is down. I have that map yeah. mounted in my house. A map of the world where the entire world is upside yeah. down, but it's labeled yeah. right side up. Right? <laughs> exactly. And you look at it, it's like, this is our planet? I told my, wow. da- I told my daughter Claire about that. I said, you know, I'd love to see a map like this just to shake it up. And she gave it to me for Christmas, so we mounted it. Yes, yeah, terrific. Yeah, that's cool. But listen, I, we're going to sign off here, right? Any last thoughts? Uh, yeah. Nope. No. All right, guys. No. Great. Great All right. night. That was awesome. We'll see you all. Awesome. This is Rick Grisman saying goodnight on behalf of Marcello Vasquez, Bob Clark, Mike Magnuson, and Jim Frank, thanking you, the listener, for joining us. Wishing you a pleasant evening and happy writing. <laughs>